Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. God on the mountain. I believe that you're on the mountain. You got me
He lives as you face tomorrow. Thank you. 
Amen. Praise Jesus. How true that song is. Amen. Amen. Just because he lives, I can face tomorrow and I can face today all the obstacles and challenges that come along with it. We can face it because he gives us strength and peace in the midst of great tribulation. Despite all the storms that are constantly raging against us, despite spiritual warfare, mocking, persecution, despite the ridicule of the world, despite all the wickedness of the world, despite temptation and deception and lies, we can go boldly go where we would rather not go that yet God sends us. Amen. We can boldly go where God sends us. Places that we would normally shrink away from, avoid, but yet he says go. Amen. Because we can do such things with boldness and courage, face the darkness head on Amen. with the arm of Jesus with us. Praise God. God is good and he greatly equips us Amen. for the battle. Sometimes part of the battle is keeping our mouths shut. That is actually a great part of the battle. Because you must wisely choose how and when to fight. There is time, there is a time to keep our mouth shut and a time to open our mouth. Sometimes it is the right time to speak peacefully and try to appease and get along. And then other times it is time to harshly rebuke and to condemn and to judge. There are times for that. There's times for everything under the sun. Amen. It is the Holy Ghost that gives us direction and discernment and wisdom about when it is time for each of these. Amen. We need to listen to that still, small voice. We need to listen to God. Amen. That inner voice that is truly not really our voice, 
what some people call an angel on one shoulder saying something opposite of a fallen angel on the other shoulder. Instead of listening to the voice of the enemy, we need to listen to the voice of God and obey. It's not enough to just hear God knocking on our heart's door, but we must obey God knocking at our heart's door. And sometimes he may tell us to go where we do not want to go, even as he did Jonah. Amen. Jonah was sent into the capital city of Nineveh, which was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire at the time, which was a very wicked city and empire and people. Very wicked. God told Jonah to go send a message of judgment. I will destroy you in 40 days to the city of Nineveh. It wasn't a if, but I will. Even with a date declared, absolutely a date, a prophetic date declared. Amen? People are against setting prophetic dates, but yet the Bible gives us an example of setting a prophetic date. Does it not? 40 days is very specific. That would have been a date on the calendar. Amen? And yet, 40 days came and went, and the city was not destroyed. People would call that a false prophecy today, even though it was a true prophet of God, truly sent by God with a specific date, and it was not fulfilled on that date. You need to be mighty careful about opening your mouth against someone that is truly called of God. Amen? People have no fear of the Lord is what it really boils down to, as well as the fact that people think they understand the Bible when they don't. Amen? God is good. Amen. God is so very good. Let us blow the shofar and then we'll go in prayer and then we'll begin the sermon. Um, I'm not going to blow this personally today, even though I've got one sitting beside me. I'm going to save my breath. This recording is so much more effective. So i got to save my breath for all this yapping I've got to do. But hopefully, hopefully it's the yapping for the Lord. Amen? Praise God. Lord, Heavenly Father, praise your holy name. Thank you, Father, for this first day of the fifth biblical month. Thank you, Father, for getting us through the fourth month of the year. 
and through these first four months of the year. Thank you for sustaining us, giving us strength to endure and to press through. You have been faithful thus far, and we know that you will always be faithful. May your will always prevail in us, in your church, in your people, your kingdom, and in us individually and in this congregation. Father, we do lift up to you, Sister Brittany. You will deliver her mind from the enemy and from herself, from anxiety and from the past. That you would see her through, give her hope, joy, and peace, deliverance and salvation. We ask you, Father, that you help and heal Brother AJ from the virus that he has right now. Give him strength, better sleep, direction for the future, your will for that. A job for Brother Andrew, a job that you would have for him, for job, for employment, for money and finances. The right place to live for him, whether it is with you and Dominique or whether it is not, that your will prevails over his own will in that situation. We pray, Lord, that you open up opportunity with you and Dominique for an apartment or house, preferably a house a little bit outside of the city limits would be perfect for them if they would be willing. Father, we do ask for a place to live with you and Dominique quickly, soon, very soon, for their escape from his parents' house. We do ask you, Lord, to bring us other brothers and sisters around the world, here locally where I'm at, in every city where your church is represented, and in new cities to come. True brothers, true sisters, that will not forsake you and your truth and your ministry, your church, your congregation. Real laborers, people that will work for you, that will be co-workers with us, We ask for your help in this because we need fellowship and help and support. And you know all the other needs of all of our brothers and sisters, true, around the world. Know their names, their locations, their situations. We pray always that your will prevails in them. Their favor and protection upon them. We ask you now that you would bless this message that we're about to receive. Speak in a mighty way through me. Use me as your vessel, as your vessel, as your oracle. You speak through me and use me 
have your way in this service. This service is yours. People are yours. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Praise Jesus. Let's go to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, and for anybody that might be listening for the first time, we're reading from a translation of the Bible called the Alpha and Omega Bible, a restoration of the original scriptures using older manuscripts than what was used for the translation of the King James Version, which was really only the Geneva Bible. Absolutely. We look at the Geneva Bible of 1560 and the King James of 1611, you have 51 years between them, and yet they are almost identical. Way too much being a coincidence. The King James Version really was nothing more than a copy of the Geneva Bible, but which is only a few words changed to corrupt it even more, and the removal of the notes against the Pope and against the Catholic Church. History shows us the Geneva Bible, also called the Pilgrim's Bible, was the number one Bible for the people coming out of the oppression from the King of England and uh, that region of Europe, coming to America, fleeing from the Church of England and from the Roman Catholic Church as well, and fleeing from Germany and from Martin Luther and from other religious oppressors of the uh, 14th, 15th, and 16th, and 17th century. Pilgrim's Bible was, or we call it the Geneva Bible, was very popular uh, and in a lot of people's hands. And they loved it because it had a lot of notes against the Pope and against the Catholic Church. Would loved it for that reason, as well as the fact that it was an English translation. Uh, but the Church of England, declaring themselves to be Catholic, uh, to be what they said in their own words, the true Catholic Church, thus say of the Church of England, that they were the true Catholic Church, and so they, they hated the notes against the Pope and against the Catholic Church. People don't understand that the Church of England and the Roman Catholic Church, even though they were somewhat at war against each other, they both were in one essence, especially behind the scenes, one and the same. Uh, there was just divisions of uh, debate debate about doctrine and administration and who would be the Pope, who would be the leader. But nevertheless, behind the scenes, the, the main core of it and the foundation of it of both empires, the empire of the Church of England and the empire of the Vatican, they were both really, in essence, the same entity. So the Church of England hated the Pilgrim's Bible because it spoke against the Pope, because it spoke against the Catholic Church, that they came out with the King James Version, which was nothing but a copy of the very beloved Bible, of the Pilgrim's Bible, 
without the notes. And that's history. That's documented history. People don't realize that. But it was, a, nevertheless, not a translation, whether you're looking at the Pilgrim's Bible or the King James, either one, it was not a translation, really, they're the same Bible. It was not a translation from the original tongues, the ancient tongues, despite the, the lie and the claim within the introduction pages of the King James. They stayed out loud about translating it from the original tongues because all they did was copy from the Geneva Bible. Okay? And even the Geneva Bible was not uh, translated from the original tongues because it was based very much upon the Assyrian, Babylonian Assyrian tongue, which was not among the original um, Bibles. It was not the Greek Septuagint, it was not the um, uh, original Pale Hebrew, but rather the very, very, very corrupted Assyrian Babylonian from Targon, which is translation. That's just a little bit of biblical history, just to uh, just to talk a little bit. But now let's transition now. As we read the Alpha and Omega Bible, we're going to read in Matthew 8, and what we're going to do today is we're just going to read the Bible and explain the Bible as we go. And we'll just go until uh, the Holy Ghost tells me to stop. Maybe we'll finish chapter 8, maybe we won't. Maybe we'll go into chapter 9, maybe we won't. Maybe we'll go into chapter 10, 11, 12. We don't know. Let's just allow the Holy Ghost and Jesus to lead how far we go, reading and explaining the Scriptures. We did that recently with the Sermon on the Mount, of chapter 5, 6, and 7. Today, we'll pick up the chapter 8. Now, as we read this and explain what we're reading, there will be things that you will hear for the first time in your life. Because Revelation 12, verse 9 says that Satan has deceived the entire world. So if Satan has deceived the entire world, that means the entire world is lost and deceived. That would include your local churches, your local pastors, and the denominations of your parents and of your local culture. The entire world is the entire world. And because the entire world, everybody, is deceived and lost, when you finally hear the truth, it could be very shocking. Because the truth, in many cases, is different from what you have always been taught your entire life. So it can be a little bit shocking to hear the truth. We only ask that you please give me time to present the evidence, the related Bible verses, and uh, articles that I have already written because I can't stand here and, and preach 10 sermons in two hours or three hours. But that's exactly what is needful to do to preach 10 sermons because Almost everything we've been taught is a lie, because the whole world is 
can see. So it's kind of difficult to fit everything in just within two or three hours. So please bear with me as I, as I try to teach and just take things in prayer and take time to, after the sermon, to go back over these same verses and look up other references and look at the articles I've written on the website, take time to pray about it, to study it intently and sincerely, rather than having the immediate, automatic, knee-jerk reaction to automatically reject it just because you don't already believe it. That's the problem with people, especially Christians, is they want to not accept something new because it doesn't already match what they believe. So in other words, they're not willing to grow in the truth. Any sermon, any pastor, any church that they follow and listen to and pay attention to, the sermons must, in their mind, already agree with everything they already think is true. They're not willing to grow in truth. Amen. That's just the truth right there. Amen. That's the truth right there. Most Christians are not willing to grow in truth. It must already match what they want to believe or what they think is true. Very sad. It really is very sad. All right, let's start chapter 8, Matthew 8, verse 1. This was immediately after the Sermon on the Mountain, and it was the Mountain of Beatitudes, but he came down from the mountain in verse 1. Jesus came down from the mountain, and large crowds followed him. So this is to be not only the disciples, but other people as well followed him. And a leper came to him, a person with a disease and bowed down before him and said, Master, if you are willing, you can make me clean or healed. Amen. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Praise Jesus. Notice, that this person had faith. This person recognized and acknowledged that Jesus was Master or Lord. This person recognized that Jesus had power and authority to heal. Amen. I am confident that this person knew that Jesus was more than a prophet. Because let's face the reality that most prophets can't even heal, even if they are true prophets. Because their number one gift from God is prophecy, not healing majority of the time. Different people have different ministrations, different gifts. Prophet has the gift of prophecy and hearing the voice of God and speaking forth the voice of God. Not necessarily healing, although sometimes that can be present as well. 
but I'm confident that this person recognized Christ as being more than a prophet. Amen. Praise God. Then verse 4, Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. What Jesus was telling this man was to recognize the authority of the administration of the Jews, of the synagogue, and of the temple. And to not even give Christ credit publicly. And Jesus knew that that would be a difficult thing for this man to be quiet, to not give Christ himself the glory, but to submit himself to these religious hypocrites. So that's exactly what Christ wanted that man to do. Because that is right. That is the right thing to do. Because God establishes the kingdom. God establishes the church structure of the temple itself, the temple and the temple administration was appointed by God. God is the one that said, build the temple, and such and such be the priests. Amen. Now, the priests might not follow God in the center of God's will, but it is God that establishes who will be the priests of the temple. And when that particular priest would and would not be punished, and then that priest would be either fired or killed or whatever. God established the temple system. And so to recognize the priests of the temple and to follow their rules and their regulations and give them honor, to bow before them, that was giving respect to God, to God's administration. Even though God's administration in that particular day and time of the temple was corrupted, not really very holy at all, a bunch of liars and hypocrites that did not understand spiritual things, knew the letter of the law very well, but did not understand the spirit of the law, and did not even recognize Christ as being the Messiah. So they had a lot of flaws, but they were still... God's appointed messengers for the time. Amen? People think that anyone and everyone that God calls as a minister, that they have to be 100% perfect, and I mean 100% perfect in every little detail, or else they're not truly called from God not even saved, they're a worker of the devil. That's the way people think. That really is the way people think, some of you listening right now. Amen? But Christ very clearly taught to submit ourselves to the administration that he has chosen, even when the administration that he has chosen is not perfect, but even a hypocrite. Amen? 
There's a reason that Christ said what he said, instructed and commanded what he instructed and commanded. He didn't do it without any reason. Amen. People need to read the Bible and slow down and think about what they're reading. Instead of just blowing right past that, which is what everybody do, they blow right past that statement and don't even think about, why do you say that? Why is it? Why is it? They never stop and think about what they're reading. They're in a race to finish the chapter. Amen? Now, of course, today, we're not required to follow the Pharisees of false religion and Judaism and the temple or the temple won't to be people. And... Um, people like that because now we're in the New Covenant era where we have the New Covenant Church which still keeps the Sabbath and the Holy Days which the Bible predicts that we'll be keeping even within the millennium. Amen. But we have a, nevertheless, we do have a church structure. I'm saying a church administration rather than a temple administration today. Amen? And there must be somewhere on earth where God does have his administration, his priest, his pastor, his prophet, his apostle. That was never done away with, even though you got a lot of false prophets out here claiming that God did away with all apostles and all prophets which you cannot, absolutely cannot prove that from Scripture whatsoever at all. Absolutely ridiculous. But people will fall for every snare of the devil, but they will not fall for the truth. That's the reality. That's just the God-honest truth. You can get a million people try to teach them the truth and every one of those one million people will reject the truth for a lie. Every one of them. Every one of those one million. In order to find a person willing to accept the truth, you're going to have to go way past a million. You're going to have to look for almost a billion people in order to sort through them and teach them the truth before you would find one person that we all accept the truth. And I'm not exaggerating. You might find two people out of one billion. It is the same today as it was in the days of Noah when God searched the entire earth for one righteous man. And that's all he did find was one creature Noah. Amen. Only one. That's what we're faced with today is one or two out of a billion. That's the God's honest truth. Now there might be three or four out of a billion. We just haven't met them yet. But it's not going to be a huge number. It is a little flock as Jesus himself that describe the church as a little flock. And yet you have billions of people who follow the Catholic Church 
at least one billion who follow the Catholic Church and at least one billion Muslims. And they all think that they are saved. Every one of them. And that's impossible to be true. It's totally impossible that there be a billion or two billion plus people on this earth that are truly saved and truly within the center of God's will. Totally impossible. Because that would not be described as a little flock or as a remnant that's too huge. Then the Bible would not be able to say that the entire world is deceived if you really had one or two or three billion saved people, then the Bible could not possibly make that statement that Satan has deceived the entire world. Amen? He could never think about that. Now let's continue in Matthew 8, picking up in verse 5. Matthew 8, verse 5, and when Jesus entered this town called uh, Kapana, I know I'm not pronouncing it right, barely speaking it. Sure, my wife Brittany might help me out with that word in verse 5. But nevertheless, a centurion, which is a Roman soldier, came to him, came to Jesus, begging him, and saying, Master, my servant is laying or lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion, this Roman soldier, said, Master, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. Amen? Amen. For I also am a person under authority. In other words, he was a leader of the Roman military, but he wasn't the head honcho. He still had somebody over him as well, but he was a leader who had servants, who had other soldiers under him, and he recognized administration. It's interesting that we just spoke about administration and now here again we're speaking about administration. This centurion, this Roman soldier who was a leader of other Roman soldiers, is saying, I understand authority. In other words, he understands that there are people that who, who submit to authority, that there are leaders and followers. He understands this. He declares that he understands this. And he, and he says that I understand that as you yourself are a leader, a master, that all you have to do is say the word and it will be done. Very interesting. Not, co not coincidence at all. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise God. I never made this connection before and I didn't make it now. The Lord Jesus made it. Amen. Amen. Praise God. I have read this over and over and over and over my entire life. Ever since I was 10 years old, I have read this over and over and over and over. And I have never before until this moment made the connection. 
It wasn't me, but the Lord. Amen. Praise God. See, not only are you learning, but I am learning and growing in the truth if we allow Jesus to teach. And this is exactly what he's doing here. Amen. If we allow Jesus to teach, if we allow Jesus to have control and quench not his spirit. Amen. If we're willing to listen and learn. Amen. If we're willing to grow in the truth. If we really want him to teach us, then he is willing to teach us. Amen. Praise Jesus. He is so good. Praise God. So this centurion, this Roman soldier leader, he says, I also am a person under authority with soldiers under me. And I'll say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another one, I'll say, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed or even shocked. You could translate that as either word. And said to those who were following to the crowd, I tell you the truth. I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. That would include his own disciples. Amen? Because his disciples were at many times lacking in faith. Amen. Amen? This man was not among the chief 12, but he still had more faith, great faith, tremendous faith. And part of the reason for his faith was the fact that he recognized authority. Amen? That he recognized authority. That's what we need in order to have faith is to recognize the authority of Christ, the power of Christ, that all he has to do is say the word and it is done, baby. Amen. People ain't got faith no more. Amen. Faith is almost impossible to find on this earth. Even Jesus himself said that he doubted if there would even be faith on earth when he comes back. Did he not say that? He did. Amen. Jesus himself doubted if he would find faith on earth when he returns. He doubted it. And I doubt it too. Because I look around, I don't see much faith. I don't. I really don't see much faith. Anywhere where I'm looking, anywhere upon the globe, I don't see much faith. I might see a little bit here and there. But not much. And that brings us right back to God searching the entire earth. Found only Noah. Amen? Brings us right back to that. And then verse 11 says, I say to you that many... Not a few, but many will come from east and west in every direction and recline at the eating table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. 
So Christ is saying this. He's saying basically that even though there's not much faith on the earth, there is a time coming when there will be a lot of people with faith, with great faith, that will receive eventually their reward. Right along with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they will sit with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and eat a feast. Amen? Woo! Baby! I like to sit at the table and watch Abraham eat that big old turkey leg. Amen? God is good. Share a cup of wine with Isaac and Jacob. Oh, I like to just rub shoulders with Jacob. He's my dude. Uh-huh. I feel like Jacob would be a good buddy. Amen. Abraham might be a little bit too old for me. I, I will bow the ear and bow the knee to Abraham. But Jacob is my man. Amen. So even though it looks like a desperate situation right now, without, without much righteousness, without much truth, without much faith on the earth, there is a time coming, even as Revelation 7 and Revelation 14 tells us about not only the 144,000, but also the great multitude that can't even be numbered from every language and every color and every race on earth, even among the South Africans, believe it or not, even among uh, Zimbabwe, even among America, believe it or not, that's hard to believe. That's more hard to believe about the Americans than it is about Zimbabwe and South Africa. To be honest with you, because these Americans, these white honkies, these crackers, they are looney tunes, stubborn. Amen. Stubborn as can be. But God is good. Amen. There's hope. There is hope. And we have to keep our eyes on the future kingdom. Amen? Even as Abraham sought a city not built by human hands while dwelling in tents, even Isaac and Jacob. Amen? We have to keep our eyes that there is coming a paradise eventually. There is coming a millennium and then the second resurrection in 100 years, and then the paradise. It's coming sooner rather than later. It ain't that far away. We have to hold on to the hope of the resurrection and the hope of paradise. we got to hold on and hold tight. Amen? It's coming. It's coming. Praise the Lord. Verse 12, however, but, here's the but. The sons of the kingdom, talking about unconverted Jews, will be cast out into the outer darkness. That's eternal death, darkness. When you are asleep, when you are unconscious, when you are dead, that's darkness, total darkness. Amen. That's the opposite of fire, because fire is light. Amen. 
You can't have darkness and light at the same time. You can't. This proves that the eternal hellfire doctrine is not correct. You can't have fire and darkness at the same time. Amen. The reward of the wicked who never repents will be darkness, not fire. Of course, they'll be cast into the fire, of course. And that's what it means when it comes to the next sentence, that there will be crying and gashing of teeth. That particular part of the verse is talking about them being cast into the fire, suffering the pain and torment of the fire of God, the lake of fire, the consuming fire that God is, until they fall asleep into the eternal darkness of death. Amen? Very easy to understand this if you read the whole Bible. It's hard to understand it if that's the only verse that you're going to read in that. But if you read the whole Bible, if you read Malachi 4 and Psalm 37 and uh, is it Matthew 10 maybe where it says that he would destroy both soul and body in Jehenna and so forth. And you keep reading, keep reading, keep reading the entire Bible, then it becomes easy to understand eventually. Amen? If you don't understand it, keep reading, and it will eventually explain itself. Okay? You really need to take notes as you read the Bible as well. You really do. That is what helped me tremendously when I was a child studying the Bible, starting at 10 years old, copying entire chapters of the Bible and taking notes, taking notes and taking notes and taking notes and reading it again, reading it and reading it and reading it and reading it. And so then you start to recognize, hey, I read that somewhere else. And you find where that was. Then you understand it better. Amen? But people are too lazy to actually study the Bible. Very interesting how a lot of this just keeps coming back full circle. A lot of related themes. We're only gotten 12 verses already, but there is ton here, and it's, it, it intertwines itself like thread interweaving itself back and forth, back and forth, and just combining all this together. There is hope. There is submission to authority, the authority of God, even when they're not perfect. But then there's judgment in verse 12. For the same authority of hypocrites that God told us to submit ourselves to, and God will deal with those hypocrites. We are required to submit ourselves to God's authority wherever that exists, and God himself will be their judge. Amen? We are to do our part without excuse. Not saying, oh, 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 Pastor Tim said a cuss word, and Pastor Tim ain't perfect, Pastor Tim's hair is too long, and Pastor Tim goes shirtless too much, and Pastor Tim is too controlling, and Pastor Tim shouts too much, and all this crap. Amen? Amen? Because that's the devil accusing his servants 
before the throne of God in heaven day and night. Amen. Amen? Isn't that what the Bible says in Revelation 12? That Satan and his angels are before the throne of God accusing his servants, the servants of God, day and night. Every day, every night, every day, every night, every day, every night. Demons up there accusing us. Look what he did. Look what he did. Look what he did. That sounds like the church of God to me. Rather than demons, that's the church of God up there in heaven accusing me day and night. And those people that think they're the church of God, maybe I should say. Amen. Amen. The people that think they are holier than thou. The people that think they are saved Christians. Amen. So it comes back full thread. Amen? God is so good. Verse 13, And Jesus said to the centurion, this Roman leader, Go, and it shall be done for you as you have believed. He believed. And he believed 100%. He knew that God had his power and his authority. But today they don't really know whether God has the power and authority or not. Amen. And the servant was healed that moment. That very moment, not the next day. Not an hour later. Not 30 minutes later. Not five minutes later. But that moment, God is present everywhere. God did not have to walk to the other town where he was, or across town, or wherever, wherever he was. He did not have to walk there to do it. The centurion recognized, all you got to do is say the word, it's done. The centurion did not even ask Jesus to travel to the location, but actually even resisted the idea of that. So just do it, just, just say it. The centurion says, all you got to do is say it, and it's done. He resisted the ideal of Jesus even traveling to the man. All you got to do is say the word, and it is done. That was what made this man's faith amazing. Shocking. Shocking. Amen. And people today... In our time and generation, they are shocked when they learn that I baptize people over the Internet or over the phone because they're like, don't you have to go in person? Don't you have to go there and lay hands in person? And my response is no. All I got to do is say the word. Amen? People are like, oh, but you're not Christ. But I'm like, oh, but I'm Christ's feet. I'm Christ's hands. I'm Christ's mouth and lips and teeth upon this earth as a minister truly called. Amen. We are the body of Christ. Christ is sitting on the right-hand side of the Father, and, and yet he is still the Father because he is God, not flesh. Amen anymore. People don't understand spiritual things because their mind is too carnal. 
Amen. But God is not carnal and is not limited in time and space. Amen. God is not limited in time and space. God is good. I can't travel the world, be all over the world, but I don't have to. All i got to do is say the word. I can do that over the Internet. Amen? Verse 14. When Jesus came into Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in bed with a fever. That would be Peter's mother-in-law. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her. That would be immediately. And she got up and waited on him, served him. Amen. That's a real woman. When evening came, they brought to him many, many people who were demon-possessed. And he cast out spirits with a word. He did not even have to touch. He just said the word. They were healed, all of them, all who were ill. This is to fulfill what was spoken as the word had been spoken through Isaiah. Isaiah is the prophet, which is Isaiah. He himself, the quote from Isaiah, he himself put our infirmities, our sicknesses, our diseases, and carried away our diseases. Isaiah 53, verse 4. Prophesied by Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah the prophet, the man who God instructed, commanded, to be completely 100% naked, but naked. For what was it, three years, I think? Three years or three and a half years? Three years. Huh? Huh? Three years. Thank you. Three years. People are like, is that really? Completely naked? Maybe it's just with a loincloth. No, it's naked. That's what it was. And it says he preached naked. Preached naked. Amen. That would be in the holy sanctuary, wherever they had a sanctuary set up at, in a holy place. And the rule was the official law of God, law of God, had already been written way before that, saying you that the priest must wear pants in the sanctuary. And yet, God told Isaiah, don't wear pants in the sanctuary. Don't even wear underwear in the sanctuary. Don't even wear socks in the sanctuary. Don't wear anything in the sanctuary. Preach totally but naked for three years as a symbolism that invasion was coming and that the people would have to be running out of their homes in the middle of the day or middle of the night, whatever, completely naked, not having time to throw on a robe. And yet, if God was to tell me or him or him or him or anybody else on earth today the same thing, preach naked for three years, 
so naked. As I, it was actually more than just preaching naked. It was living naked 24-7. That's what it was. To live naked. To even go to the store naked. To answer the door naked. To answer the door when Domino's Pizza comes to the door to be naked. Amen. I worked for a pottery guy one time, years and years and years and decades, way back when, back before Moses. No, just kidding. But way, way back, I worked for a pottery guy who was a, a naturalist, what people call a nudist. And it wasn't sexual. It was just a naturalist, just the way God designed us, the way we should be. And he was always naked, and he would answer the door for the pizza man, and the UPS man, and the mailman. It didn't matter who it was. Naked, without shame, and without sin. That's the way it should be. But people are so programmed and brainwashed to think that the human body is nasty and sinful. And it's not. It's not. Amen. The reality is that Isaiah could live naked, not just preach naked, but live naked for three years is because it was very well accepted in that day and time. If it wasn't accepted, he would not have gotten away with it. He would have been crucified within the first three days. Think about it. Isaiah the prophet would have been crucified literally or stoned to death or sawed in two after only two or three days of answering the door naked or going into town or going to the store or congregation telling on him, the congregation telling on him, amen, telling everybody in town, far and wide, guess what Isaiah is doing, guess what Isaiah is doing. They would have came and burned his house down if it was not well accepted in society, which it was. It was very well accepted in society. In that day and time. Those are your sinners. There was an ant crawling over there. Let's see it again here in a minute. Or maybe it was on that door. I forget where. Oh, there it is. Excuse me. I got an invasion of the ant. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I got to have a little fun. <laughs> I like to have a good time because God has humor. Amen. We get so serious about everything all the time. God is good. That we are programmed from childhood. Put on a shirt. Put your shoes on. Button up. I don't see that in scripture anyways. Today a man can barely mow his yard shirtless without the Christian, so-called Christian neighbor spying out the window and pointing the finger and saying, oh, look at him, mowing the yard shirtless, and he thinks he's saved. I've been going back and telling everybody in church what he saw, what she saw, what he saw 
even the guys today have the same mentality of a, of a, a woman, a girl, a baby girl. Very sad, very sad. The regalism that people are raised with today. Well, let's move forward here. Let's move forward in Scripture. So Isaiah had made this prophecy about the Lord, and here in verse 17, Matthew 8, verse 17, that Christ would remove our diseases. God is good. Verse 18 says, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Then a scribe came, a scribe, very interesting, scribe came, said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. He didn't realize what he was saying. Amen? He didn't realize what all that would really entail, how far and wide Christ would go and what that meant. I didn't realize what he was really saying because Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the son of mankind has nowhere to lay his head. Amen. In other words, Christ was saying in different words to this man, I'm not promising you, I'm not promising you a five-star hotel. Amen. Basically in different words. You're going to follow me, you're going to be homeless, buddy. You ain't going to be living, laying down at night with uh, satin sheets. Amen. People think they follow Christ, that they are promised prosperity, riches, good job, good money, good career, good house, good car, good everything. Riches of the world. But the reality is, you follow Christ, probably are going to be pretty poor, actually. Probably going to be pretty poor. You're giving out your tithe. You're saving your second tithe, and every third year out of a seven-year cycle, you're giving your third tithe. But everybody says, no, don't do that, because you're going to be too poor. Yeah. You're going to be poor because the riches of this world, the more you own, the more you have, the more it owns you. Amen. Verse 21, another of the disciples said to him, Master, permit me first to go and bury my dad. Jesus said to him, follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. Christ did not give permission for the man to first go and bury his dad. If I was to tell a church member, you've got to be at services on time and not miss the worship services no matter what, and to just not go to your dad's funeral. 
Tell us, is that the day, same time, same day, same time as the worship service? You can't go to your dad's funeral. You've got to be up here at this worship service because this is where God has set his name. This is where God's church is, and you are required to be here to keep the commandment of the Lord, to gather together on the seventh day with God's elect, with God's people, and the keeping of the Sabbath. And your dad was lost anyway, and he's dead, and he's not even going to know that you're not even there. Your dad is not even going to see whether you're at the funeral or not. You're not adding any profit to the kingdom of God by going to a dead man's funeral. If I was to say that, which I would, he would say, you're over-patrolling. You're on a power trip. How dare you think you have such authority, and how dare you be so unloving? Ain't that exactly what everybody would say, and everybody would say it. Everyone, except only Brother Gerald. Amen. People would be stoning me with words. People would be dropping out of the church left and right. Amen. Claiming that I'm not a servant of the Lord, that I don't have any... uh, salvation in me, that I'm of the devil, you know I'm speaking the truth. Amen? But yet, this is exactly the attitude that Jesus had. No, you can't go. That's exactly the attitude Jesus had. Amen? Christ first. That's what that, His first words out of his mouth was, follow me. He sinned. I'm first, not dead people. Amen. Amen? Amen? Christ is first. Not your brother, not your sister, not your lost family, not dead people, not employers, not money, not college, not career. God first. Not second, not third, not last. But everybody's putting everything first but God. Everything first. Even dead people first. God Last. This ain't the preaching of your street corner preacher, street corner church, your mama's preacher, your mama's church. But rather, it's the preaching of Christ. Very different and shocking from traditional teaching. It's the type of teaching that people hate with a passion. They will say it is of the devil. Day and night, before the throne of God, they will say it's the teaching of the devil. And the only thing I'm doing is tell you what Christ said and applying it to us. But how dare I say what Christ said and apply it to us? How dare I do that? How unloving.
Then we come to the next verse. If I get a twig of this fruit juice here. Honey, can you do me a favor and get a three ice cubes? Three ice cubes. So nice to have that help. Praise God. Verse 23. Then, when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Behold, there arose a great storm. Not a minor storm. There would have been a thunderstorm warning. Amen? Bait, 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 bait. Thunderstorm warning is what there would have been in our day and time. There arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being covered with the waves. Yeah, that would have been a thunderstorm warning, maybe even tornado warning. Amen. But Jesus himself was asleep in the midst of that storm. And they came to him and woke him up, saying, Save us! Save us, Master! We're perishing! Ah! Ah! They're running around like chickens with their heads cut off. Ah! Save us! We're perishing! We're dying, Lord! He was sleeping. He said to them, Why are you afraid? You men of little faith! Amen. He's basically calling them chickens. Amen. You men of little faith. People think that Jesus never condemned anyone for anything. What people think because they haven't read very much of the Bible at all. But he was condemning them right here for not having much faith. Amen. He was. So there's two times in a row right here, just within these three or four verses. Two times in a row that Christ is having a, what people today would call an attitude problem. Of course, it wasn't an attitude problem. But people today in the church, in and outside the church, both, people who think they are saved and holier than thou, would judge Christ they would judge this pastor, this leader, amen. They would judge this prophet of the Lord, which is God himself. They would judge him and say, he's got an attitude problem. He's condemning people for being afraid when they've got reason to be afraid. Think about this, Cape Town, amen. Think about this. They had reason to be afraid. It was a tremendous storm, waves crashing against the ship. They had reason to be afraid. Christ is like, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Huh. He asked them this like if nothing was going on. You know why? Because he was present. Because he was present. Why do we need to be afraid when he is with us? Amen. Do we not have the power of the resurrection in us if we are saved? Truly saved. The problem is we're not truly saved and we don't have the power of life and death and resurrection in us. 
And that's why we fear death so much. If we had the power of life in us, we would not fear death. Because if we died, we would just rise again. Eventually. Amen. If we die, we're just going to rise again. Fear not him that's able to kill only the body. But fear only him that's able to kill both body and soul in the lake of fire. And yet people say, God won't even kill both body and soul in the lake of fire. What? What? People don't believe the Bible. Fear not him that's able to kill only the body, but fear him, God, who is able, which means he will kill both body and soul in Jehenna, the lake of fire. And then every pastor and every Christian, so-called, says, but he won't. He won't. You blasphemous little, mm, blasphemous to contradict Scripture and to say God can't and won't destroy your soul. You're so blasphemous because mommy and daddy and preacher and preacher and preacher and so-called brother and sister has brainwashed you to believe that the wicked will live forever. And yet Romans 6.23, as simple as it is, says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Do you think the wicked is going to live forever and have eternal life, which is the gift of God? People have got everything backwards because the whole world is deceived, Revelation 12, verse 9. The whole world is deceived, Revelation 12, verse 9. The whole world, everyone, every church, every pastor, every Christian, everyone, Revelation 12, verse 9. But I don't believe it. I don't believe it. They love God. My parents love God. My pastor loves God. My pastor knows the Bible inside and out. Bullcrap. Amen? Bullcrap. People don't believe the Bible. They believe traditional Religion, it is not the Bible. Verse 26, why are you afraid, you men of little faith? And yet the Christians say that all we need is a little faith, as small as a mustard seed, which is not what the Bible says. Amen? The Bible does not tell us that all we need is a little faith. Christ condemned them for having only a little faith. Amen? What the Bible really says is that we have the faith as a mustard seed, not as small as, but as a mustard seed, which means something that begins small but grows large. The Bible says it grows so large it becomes a great tree where the birds make nests in and live in it. Not a little tiny thing. Amen? 
That comes back full circle and full thread as well. That even the birds have a place to nest in. But the son of mankind not even have a place to lay his head. Amen. But these, a little faith is not good. Because if you have only a little faith, you're going to be shaken when the storm comes. If you have only a little faith, as small as a mustard seed, you will be shaken in the time of tribulation. You better grow a great faith. You better be growing it now because the storm's coming. You start with a little faith, but you're required to grow that faith huge so that you can withstand the storm. Amen. Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. But the thing is, they could have done that. People don't believe that because they don't believe the Bible. They don't believe the power and authority that God has given us as the body of Christ. People don't believe that the disciples could have done it themselves. Even though they had power to cast out demons. Amen. They had power to heal the sick. They had a lot of power. Oh, but no, they couldn't they couldn't speak to the wind. No. Yes, they could. Yes, they could. They had just done it. Even Peter walked on water and he did it successfully until he began to fear and doubt. Amen. Peter could walk on water successfully. Even if Christ had not even been there, he could have done it. If he was doing it for the Lord, then he could have done it. Amen. We can move mountains. But people don't believe it. That's why it doesn't happen. Because we don't believe it. But the sea became perfectly calm. I love how it says that. Perfectly calm. There wasn't even a little tiny wave. Amen. That's why even they crossed the Red Sea, it was dry ground in the midst of the sea. It wasn't even muddy between their toes. It wasn't even muddy between their toes as they were crossing the Red Sea. It was dry ground, the Bible says. Following that tree down the road. Huh? Huh? No, that one's all right. Here it tries to directly to home. Verse 27. People were amazed. They were amazed. But why? Why were they amazed? Why was they shocked? that Christ had power to calm the sea when they had already saw him heal the sick and cast out demons and just say the word for somebody to be healed even when he wasn't even in the same location. And uh, they had already seen miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, but yet they were still shocked when the next miracle occurred. People never change, do they? They never change. Just like the people crossed the Red Sea, 
They had already solved the ten plagues, which were huge miracles, the deliverance, uh, the, the, the splitting of the water in midair. They already seen this, and then they continued to doubt God and the power of God and the faithfulness of God for the next 40 years and beyond. And to this day, people don't change unless you really and truly take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow him and put him first, and nothing less than that. Nothing less than that. What God requires of his people is total surrender, 100%. Not 99%, not 99.9%, but rather 100%. Amen? 100%. But where are you going to find that? You can't hardly find that anywhere on earth today. Anywhere. Joanna, are you still there? I know you said you lost connection 11 minutes ago. But it seems like that we're still on air. I want to see if anybody at all can hear me right now. If anybody can type into the room, especially Joanna, are you ready for him? if you're able to hear me at the moment. Before we continue, I'm going to make sure that anybody can hear me at the moment. Let me see if anybody can hear me. Okay, looks like bound up the servant. He can hear me. Thank you very much. So I believe it's just an internet problem with are you ready for him? I think she's having a, maybe a computer problem or an internet problem at the moment. But found that the servant can hear me. Thank you very much, brother. Okay, so we'll continue. But they were amazed and said, what kind of person is this? that even the winds and the sea obey him. This is more than a prophet, amen. This was God. Verse 28, when he came to the other side and to the country of the uh, Gadarenes, two men who were demon-possessed met him, <clears throat> met him as they was coming down out of the tombs, out of the graveyard area, so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way, by the graveyard. Two men with demons was staying in the graveyard. People couldn't even pass by the graveyard. They were afraid of them. Amen. Okay. So <clears throat> this sermon is being recorded, so if you wanted to later on, you could go back to the recording and listen to those 10 minutes that you wasn't able to catch if you wanted to in the recording that's going to be later on, okay? <clears throat> if you wanted to do that, it's available for you. So right now we're picking up in uh, verse 29, verse 29, and they cried out, these two men with demons cried out to Jesus, saying this, What business do we have with each other, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us 
before the time, before the judgment. Now there was a herd of many swine feeding at a distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. I want to take one word. He didn't even have to say a full sentence. I want to take one word. And they came out and went into the swine, and the entire herd rushed down the steep bank, the embankment, the hill, into the sea, and perished in the waters. They, the demons killed the pigs. What this did was it freed the demons from the flesh. And that was their plan, knowing that if Jesus would please cast them into the flesh of a swine, that they was going to kill the swine, that the swine, that the demons would cause the swine to drown themselves, and with the death of the swine, that the demons would be more able to be released from the flesh. And Jesus permitted them so, and he did not even have to describe this entire situation of where they would go. But granting the permission with one word, and the commandment with one word. In verse 33, the herdsmen ran away and went to the city and reported everything including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the entire city came out to meet Jesus. When they saw him, they asked him to leave their region. How outrageous. Amen? Outrageous. Crazy, stupid, and insane, blasphemous people. The people are the same today. People are the same today. Amen? People are the same today. People don't like the presence, the true, powerful presence of the Lord because the presence of the Lord is way too powerful, way too commanding, way too authoritative. And people are not comfortable with that today because people today like everything with a lollipop. Amen? Like everything, really weak, soft, coexistence, get along, get along with the false religion, get along with everything, everybody, but don't get along with the true prophets of the Lord and the true servants of the Lord. It really hasn't changed. Now, these Torah people that are totally focused on the law including Old Covenant temporary ceremonial ritual laws such as clean and unclean meats, they point at this and say that this is proof that we should not eat pigs, swine, pork, even though there's nothing in this chapter at all about eating or not eating pigs. So it's not proof of anything. Amen. But they like to take everything out of context and reach for straws and reach for anything they can grab onto to try to prove their false doctrine. And the thing about it is, you know, pigs are not the only food or animal listed 
in Leviticus uh, well, 11, yeah, Leviticus 11 and the other chapters that deal with that topic. It's not the only animal listed. You also have uh, fish, or rather it has the scales and the fins, so that would even include uh, catfish and other fish, certain types of fish. And yet, they try to focus entirely and only and only about pigs. Because how they've read multiple articles over and over and over in books, videos that try to claim that pigs are nastier than all the other animals, when in fact chickens are nastier than pigs. Amen. Amen. I even had a farmer to tell me that that knows what he's talking about. Amen. An old man that's been around the block and has raised the animals and knows what he's talking about. Even he, a man of, who really knows what he's talking about, said chickens are nastier than pigs any day of the week. Amen. And they never mention certain types of fish that would not meet the requirement of whatever it is about the fins and the scales that would be classified as so-called unclean, and yet there's nothing nasty or unhealthy at all about some of those fish. And even like, is it is the rabbit, I forget, unclean list, I think it is, and other types of animals that were listed as unclean, but there's no reason to believe that they would be unhealthy in the least at all, whatsoever at all. There's nothing unhealthy about a rabbit over and above a chicken or a cow. Amen? So really, they want to nitpick, as the Bible describes, uh, that they would strain a gnat while swallowing a camel. Amen? That's what the Bible says about those people. And that's exactly what they do. Amen. Acts 10 very strongly declares that Peter was hungry. He was hungry. And he was staying with a Gentile, a tanner. And he went on the rooftop and God gave him that vision and showed him those animals and said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And yet all these Torah people, flying people, law people, they want to say that God was only talking about Gentiles. But last time I knew, last time I knew to rise and kill and eat the Gentiles would be called murder and breaking the commandment of the Lord. Amen? People ain't got no sense. They really don't. And I can tell people over and over and over, look at what it says. It says, do not call unclean or common what I have cleansed. What was Peter calling unclean? The animals, not the Gentiles. And people are like, yeah, but look later in the chapter where he said, 
that the revision was about the Gentiles. Well, I would say also look in the Bible where Peter denied knowing Christ. Not once, not twice, but three plus times. And I can even point to nine times where Peter denied Christ. Peter was not perfect. He was a little dense. And he was the most troublesome of all of the disciples, except for, of course, Judas that betrayed Christ. But other than Judas Iscariot, Peter was the worst, absolute worst of the disciples. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you can see that over and over and over again. Amen? Jesus even rebuked Peter one time and said, uh, step behind me or get away from me, Satan. He said that to Peter. Amen? Peter was the worst disciple. And yet people think, just because Peter did not understand the meaning of the vision, that we have to accept that God told Peter to rise and kill the Gentiles and eat the Gentiles. It don't make no sense at all that God would use something that had not been cleansed to represent a group of people that had been cleansed. It don't make no sense at all. It's not logical that God would say, okay, Peter, see these animals? They're not cleansed but I'm going to use them as a symbol of something that had been cleansed, even though these are not cleansed. That don't make a sense of a hill of beans. People ain't got no sense. They want to hold on to their tradition and what they think they know instead of allowing the scriptures to change their thinking. Amen? When you read Acts 10, if you already believe in the clean and unclean meat laws continuing into the New Covenant time era, that you come to Acts 10, and if you are willing for the scriptures to change you and who you are and what you think, Acts 10 would do it. If you was really and really and really willing for the scripture to change you, for you to grow in the truth, Acts 10 would absolutely do it. But yet, people are rebellious and stubborn and stupid, and I just have to say it that way. And again, people say, but Jesus would never call names, and Jesus wouldn't offend people, and Jesus wouldn't point out sin to people, and Jesus wouldn't insult people. And yet Jesus constantly did insult people, constantly. He was all the time calling people dogs, pigs, swine, in other words, and hypocrites and snakes over and over and over again. But people don't read the Bible enough to know what he said. Amen. But God is good.
Okay, brothers and sisters, and brothers and sisters, one of these, we'll stop right there at the end of chapter 8, and the good stopping place, and we'll catch up another time, sometime or another, with God's permission, we'll uh, pick up at, at chapter 9, but I don't know what the Lord is going to lay on my heart for this next seventh day. Uh, but I am so thankful that some of you was able to endure this hard preaching. And man, it's hard to find anyone to endure hard preaching in this candy land that people live in. Amen. People think they live in a cartoon or a video game. But God is good. I have to just keep telling myself that. God is good. The only way I'm going to get through this is just to keep reminding myself, God is good. Amen. God is good. Thank you for joining us today on this first day of the fifth biblical month. We'll be back Saturday, every Saturday, at 10 minutes till 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time Zone. Eastern Time Zone. 10 minutes till 11 in the morning. Ever say. And please visit the website. If you're new, if you haven't ever visited our website, our ministry website is I saw the light ministries.com. I saw the light ministries.com. And just like the preaching you heard today, there is a lot of stuff on there you never heard before, very different, very unique, because we preach what the Bible says rather than the traditional, effeminate, wimpy, soft preaching that you get in the average church today, where they keep to themselves teachers who would tickle their ears and appease their members in an attempt to not lose any members because they don't want to lose a dollar. Amen. That's not what you see here with this ministry. Truth is the truth, so help me God. Amen. Okay, I'm going to give opportunity for people that are registered and signed in to the Mixler. If you have any questions right now about anything that I have said today, or if you have a song or testimony, something that the Lord is knocking on your heart, then please obey God. He's knocking on your heart to testify or sing a song or ask a question. And please don't resist the movement of the Lord. Amen. And quench not the Spirit. You can be typing in right now or whatever you need to do to notify me that something that you need to do. Brother Gerald, got anything to share? Oh, I've got a song here, right? Oh, I didn't know that. Got a song. Brother Gerald is going to sing us a song. And it's always wonderful to have anybody try to do something for the Lord. Amen. More people need to be actors and to just do anything, do something for the Lord. Amen. You want to stand there or come up here? What do you want to do? Okay, come on. You might need to be back here to dance. Oh, right. 
So I've been looking through some old uh, old gospel songs. Hard to find good ones, of course. And when they do have good ones or good poetry, you look at this traditional music, and they do sound dead or a lot of false doctrine yeah. or not very live. Or it sounds half dead and it's copyrighted by some Disney mega church that won't even show you it unless you pay the money, which is ridiculous. Yeah. So I had this one going for a, a few weeks and uh, couldn't quite get it right. And then I have the uh, get a tune in your head in the middle of the night. Oh, I can work with that. I can work with that. It's different, but yeah. So God can take the stiff necks and make them groovy. <laughs> okay. This is based on the, the song or poem called God Moves in a Mysterious Way. And the band's not here, but I can sing. Oh, God. Maybe half of them. I would grab a tambourine. Jesus works in a mysterious way. He brings the barren laughter and he makes me to say. Down in unfathomable minds of never failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Oh, don't be sad, life's full of mystery. When all along the Lord's pulling the master key, and press on through the troubling trials you meet, for blow by fiery blow, God fashions happy ending. Here from saints, fresh courage takes to cause so much dread. Are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind the frowning providence, he hides smiling face. So raise your voice, praise the Lord. Move onward and upward. Wash your sins, claim his blood. Be born again and see. Happy days you couldn't live until you knew his grace. So don't you fear, but trust him for his strength. He helps crooked get right when they finally repent. Fire keeps on burning, still gold remains. The whole world keeps on turning, so our hearts sin. So turn around, praise the Lord, move onward and upward. Say your prayers, pay your vows, keep living all your days, till there's no doubt in your mind how God is perfect in all ways. Turn around, Praise the Lord, move onward and upward. Turn around, praise the Lord, move onward and upward. Jesus works in an mysterious way. Just ask the sailors once we're rocking on the rolling sea. So when you see the mighty storms, no need to be afraid. Christ is sweeping on the boat, and yet 
stuff has come away. Praise the Lord with all your heart and soul. And as you're tumbling from the well, you'll notice that you reach your goal. Why be afraid of someone fit to save? You'll empty from the writing, and only dirt will fill the grave. Fine. Oh, I can go for one more verse. Find unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he'll make it plain. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. So build your house, praise the Lord, move onward and upward. Taste your figs, sip your wine, though you once were lost and scared, lost and turned to and fro. Jesus says it will be fine. So raise your voice, praise the Lord, move onward and upward. Bang the blood, praise the Lord, and follow all his ways through stormy days until you see his smiling face. Praise God. Praise Jesus. Oh, praise Jesus. And of course, it's absolutely amazing that part of that song mentioned Jesus sleeping in the boat. Amen. Amen. That's God. Amen. I had to contain myself when he said that yeah. at the beginning of this yeah. sermon. Cool. And when did you write that part of the song about um, him being in the boat? Probably two or three or four days ago. Two or three or four days ago. Okay. God is Very, very, very often, not just rarely, that extremely often Christ works through Brother Gerald, gives him the same verses, same words, and puts it either in a song or a writing or something, or he would read the same passage earlier that day, or even Sister Kiki reading or even posting the same passage before the sermon without any of these people knowing what I'm going to preach at all, without any foreknowledge of the Bible verses that are going to be taught that day or the subject or topic. So it's a continual miracle that we experience all the time. We just baptized Brother Simon in Cape Town uh, maybe a week ago or whenever it was, and there was a rainbow after his baptism, which we have experienced on multiple occasions uh, after baptism or uh, during baptism, different people. It's not always ever baptism, but there's been an amazing, miracle number of baptisms within the church here that did have a rainbow present at the baptism. And the rainbow being the official symbol, icon, of this ministry. The rainbow representing both grace and judgment to come. People don't recognize and understand because they only read half of the verse about the rainbow, but they don't read about the promise 
of the fire to come, that the earth will be destroyed again, that the earth will be destroyed by fire next time. So it's not grace only, but also judgment to come. Amen. So our ministry preaches grace, mercy, love, forgiveness, deliverance, salvation, but also we preach the other side of the gospel that a lot of people like to leave out. Repentance, holiness, obedience, all the requirements of the Lord, and certain Ten Commandments, the Sabbath, the Holy Days, which is absolute throughout the New Testament, and um, judgment to come, the full gospel, the full message, the full Bible. Amen. Brother Gerald, what else you got? God and say, no, I'd rather make money. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Did he got anything to Too bad Sonam's not here. I know he would sing a song. Yeah. Okay. okay, well, let's close this down. And again, thank you for listening today. And I'll see you Saturday. God willing, if the creeks don't rise and the earth don't open up and swallow us all, see you Saturday. Seventh day, all this in Jesus' name, amen. Please confirm that you would like to end this meeting by pressing star zero. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.